0: 15. Okay. Now, I want to give you guys some addresses. What we read earlier was Luke 24. Uh, that's one of the uh, expressions of the story of God's ascension and, and what happened when he rose from the dead. Please write that down and go home and look at that and uh, be encouraged with God's truth. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand and we'll hook you up. Uh, the, the text will also be up here up front. Now, obviously, you can kind of tell that this is, this is kind of an important day for us. It's kind of significant, right, um, this whole resurrection piece. And, and the reason why, guys, is because I, it seems that even as Paul, as we, as we get into the scriptures here, as I turn there, Paul, Paul sort of just does, makes a big statement. It's almost as if he's saying that the resurrection really makes um, our whole existence as believers valid. I and mean, so that's how important this is, that basically we're going to we're going to see that without the resurrection. then the question you really need to be asking yourself is, is what are you doing? Like, what are we doing? Uh, and so we're going to process that. And, I, and because there's a lot of information, I want to just, you know, I usually don't do this. We usually just walk through the text, but I want to sort of put it in three, three big clumps. Uh, so you guys, hopefully we can, we can grab this. And I might, based on time constraints, uh, I might have to uh, have some key verses and not read the whole text uh, because there's a lot of verses here. But I also want us to make sure we get the story. So just for your own uh, edification, uh, we will be uh, reading 1 Corinthians 15. I want to ask you, if we don't read it all here, make sure you go home and read the whole passage. Um, But we're going to try and read as much as we can and answer a few questions. Um, The first question I want to keep in your mind, or the first reality I want you to see, is that the resurrection, what it does, here's a couple things the resurrection does. This is why it's kind of important. The resurrection really validates the cross, okay? So when you think of the cross, you know, we talk a lot about the cross, and we also talk a lot about, so what, what is the most important day in history? And you can sometimes think maybe it's Christmas, because Jesus was incarnate, was born, uh, was in his death. But see, if you think about it, without the, without the resurrection, him being born would just be another dude being born. Okay? And without the resurrection, him dying, although sad, would just be another person dying. And so it seems that the Bible is actually proclaiming that the most important time in all of history is not his first coming. It's not when he was born, actually, as it were. It's not even when he comes again, the second coming, that God did his work between the death and resurrection, that the resurrection is probably, I would propose in Scripture, is, is the apex of human history. This is when everything that Jesus did was validated, and now we can actually say it's kind of cool to be a Christian because it's true. Amen? With that said, I want to give you that backdrop, and I want to go through some verses to sort of try to prove uh, what I'm saying based on what Paul says to try to prove it to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church family, uh, just real quick, uh, was, you know, this, this book was written. One of the, the people say it is was the first book uh, written in the New Testament uh, between probably... 50s and 60s AD, you know. So this was this was like a couple of decades after Christ's death. Uh, so keep that in mind, if not if not a little sooner. Uh, this is pretty a pretty early uh, book. And what he's saying, he wants to proclaim. Got that? He wants to proclaim that, that basically there's some instructions he wants us to follow. He tries to give us some uh, some things to think about. And starting in verse one, he says, "Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you." So, so these guys, you had some Greeks, you had all these different people. Uh, this was a, 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 a seaport town. This was a, a very popular town. All kind of craziness. People started coming to Christ. For whatever reason, they started kind of sort of vacillating their faith. And he's, he's, he's writing to them to encourage them. And He says, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, uh, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay? By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly. To the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Starts off everything by saying, okay, I'm assuming that this. when I wrote to you, this is, the, this is what you're standing on. You realize this is, this is the firm foundation you're supposed to be on. You're supposed to be standing on this. This is what you've given your life to if you just become a Christian or if you've just been walking with God for a long time. If, I'm assuming that this is the case. And if not, if you just sort of profess belief and you're not firmly standing on it, then it's not belief at all. OK, he starts off, but it's really giving us an understanding that like, this is important, that you're saying that, that all of your life, everything you're about is about this issue, this gospel. So what is this gospel? He talks about it in verse three. See this? He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as a first of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Let's stop there. So there's a key word here. He says, a little phrase here, Christ died for our sins. Uh, a passage that you can look up um, is Leviticus 16, which describes this reality. What does this mean? Christ died for our sins. So here in a nutshell, we have, we have the gospel right here. So what would happen? You have, you have a holy God, and you have sinful man, okay, because of the fall, because we had the audacity to think that we are God. And because of that, we fail, and now we are all sinful. We'll get into that in a moment if you don't believe that. But then you have a mediator in Luke 16. I mean, sorry, in Leviticus 16, you have this mediator, uh, a simple man. Also, you have this Moses guy who's sort of a mediator between God and man. And so what these mediators would do, uh, these priests, these priests would actually kill animals because because we because we are sinful and God is perfect. What would happen in the Old Testament, if you're new to all this, is that God wanted to have a sacrifice because we were messed up. And God says, I need I need you to sacrifice blood Basically, to wash your sins. Okay, so they would sacrifice animals. First, the priest would sacrifice a bull as a representative of himself. And then what he would do is he would sacrifice a lamb representative of the people, the people of Israel. And in doing this, these imperfect sacrifices by an imperfect person would satisfy a perfect God for just some time. Okay, They would just call it the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement, that, that men would literally say, Lord, I'm all messed up. I realize that. I'm going to confess my sin. And in actuality, what they would do, they would actually put their hands on the lamb. And in a sense, it was like symbolic of the transfer of my messed upness, my sin, being transferred to the lamb and then killing the lamb, satisfying the payment for a holy God. Okay? That was the Day of Atonement. But this was done by imperfect people with an imperfect sacrifice to a perfect God. Okay? But what's beautiful now is Christ is saying that Christ, I mean, Jesus is saying through Paul that Christ died for our sins. So now we have something very different. We have something that, it was like, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we have this typology piece, right? They're showing us something that's going to actually be realized that's going to be fulfilled in the future. And that is what Christ did. So Christ now is our perfect sacrifice and he's our perfect mediator between God and man because he's both fully God and he's actually perfect man. So what he does is he, as the perfect lamb, literally gets murdered. Right. We need to say Christ died for us since he did. But I want to make sure we understand we murdered Christ and unknowingly. Right. We, we murdered him knowingly, but then unknowingly, not knowing that we put up the perfect sacrifice for all of man's sin. That's what we've done. So unknowingly, we, sins, we, 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 sacri- we sacrifice this perfect sacrifice who is this perfect mediator so that now we can have interest to God. Let's not stop there. I want I to take it a little further. I want us to understand a, a, a term that can get thrown around. Have you ever heard of double imputation? Okay. Okay. So let's talk about this. I'm going to give you some, some top shelf theology so you can actually feel like I earned my pay today. Double imputation. Don't miss this, because my my goal here is I was praying and asking the Lord, like, so what do I want to do, Lord? Like, do we want to get people really excited? I want you to get excited for the gospel. So if you feel excited, praise the Lord. Most importantly, I want you to understand the gospel. Okay? So here's what happened. Double imputation is this. So Jesus is the green, okay? And say, we are sinful man, and we're the red, Okay? What imputation means is substitutionary atonement. Have you heard these big words? Propitiation. God substituting himself for us as men, right? Here's what happens. is Imputation is when Christ says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your sin. Okay? So what he does, he takes man's sin and he literally places it on himself. Now, I want us to understand that tra- the, tra- the tragic joy of this. When we think of God taking our sin, we don't really get it. We kind of think this is just some symbolism or something. We think, okay, he, he died for my sins. No, 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 no. What this is saying, again, remember, see, it was, it was typology that he put the hands on the lamb, but the reality is what God said happened is that literally Jesus took the weight of your sinfulness, your guilt. Think of all how foul we are. I think of my guilt and the things I wanted, all my, my, my illness and he puts it on himself, the whole world. And that's why, family, whenever you're reading the Gospels, when you go home today and you read Luke 24, you read all these Gospels, be, be just, you know, you, re- you look at the Passion movie, be saddened. cry because he was whipped for you. It says that in, in Isaiah. Be saddened that he, took, he had, uh, he had, he had crowns of thorns in his hand. Be sad that they, that they killed him twice, basically, by stabbing him. Be sad for all that. But you know what God wants you to really focus on? It's not the physical mutilation. He wants you to focus. So you know what he wants you to be most sad? Wow. Perfect God took the sin of the world. That hurt more than the nails. I'm saying, like God is saying, when you look at the gospel, I want you to be like, whoa. He took on all the world's sin, past, present, and future. But that's just not it. So he takes on our sin because if he just did that, well, that, okay, that makes you innocent. Right? But this is what I love about how beautiful God is. That just makes you innocent. That doesn't make us righteous, praise the Lord. You're still not righteous in yourself. You see that? So, so Jesus wouldn't just say, well, I took your sin, so now you just, you're just innocent. But it says in the scriptures, the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God, family. So something else has to happen. It's not that you now, we get our sin taken away and then God says, okay, now you can try and be righteous. See? That's why the gospel is so important. That's why Jesus is so beautiful. Because then what he does. So if you notice, now you have the green, the, he took, he took on the sin, and then what he does is he gives us his righteousness. Do, do you see why we always talk about in this body you can live a life of grace now? That you don't have to like be perfect now? Why? Because it's not you or me. God gives us his righteousness. And it says immediately when I say yes to Jesus as my king, in my heart, I say, Lord, I love you. I think you've done all this for me. God says, I've made you holy and perfect in my sight. Right then. Don't have to work for it. Don't have to read more Bible verses. I'm perfect now. Doesn't that, make, doesn't that excite you when you think of the sin in your life? This gives you the freedom to say no to sin. It kind of excited. W imputation. So imputation is he not only takes our sin, we don't just impart sin on, uh, on, on Jesus, then Jesus imparts his righteousness on the people. Okay? So that's the gospel. Let's not ever forget it. We don't earn our righteousness, he gives it to us. We don't dissipate our sin, we give it to him. No one else in history has made this claim or does this. That's what's so beautiful, and it was so exclusive about Jesus. It's the only one who says, I'll take it, and I'll give it to you. You don't have to earn. Okay? So that's what he's talking about when he says Christ died for our sins. Okay, family? That's what that means. That's what Jesus did for us. Let's continue on. Check it out. He didn't stop there. He, he continues on. He says um, in verse 5, I love this. He gets kind of street. He says, he it, it says, and that he appeared to Peter, so he died according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, uh, then, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Just real quick, he's like, look. You know, because, you know, he's saying all this stuff. They're probably like, really, dude? He's like, listen, let me tell you something. I'm just not, I haven't just drank the Kool-Aid. I'm telling you, there are all kind of people who are saying this? He's like, man, you got brothers, you got family members who are denying Christ, who are now saying, I will die for Christ. He's saying, you got his best friends who are saying, we've seen this man rise. He's saying, you got all these other people who just all these little followers who said, I saw Jesus as well. He says, listen now, I get it. Some of them dead, but guess what? A lot of them are still alive, and you can go find them. You can go ask them. And you got to keep in mind when this ends. This is during a time where, where the Roman army wants to just kill this rumor. They want to kill it. And he's like, no. There's a ton of people right here. If you go ask them, they'll tell you, Jesus, this, I saw Jesus, rose from the dead, saw him bodily, and I'll die because I've seen, I've seen this reality right now. The resurrection makes the cross valid. It makes the cross have meaning. Let's continue on, family. So we have this perfect sacrifice by this perfect mediator. What I'm going to do for the, for, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip because Paul sort of goes off. He goes on tangents like me sometime. Verse 9 through 11. I'm going to jump in verse 12. Um, and we're going to continue on with this piece of how it validates the cross. It says in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. So, again, he's trying to make this point. Christ has risen, y'all. I'm telling you. I saw my, I saw it. All these people have seen it. Here's what it means. Here's what it fulfills. Now, now check it out. If Christ Christ has been raised from the dead, um, if he hasn't, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Like, if he's been raised, then how are some of you really saying, no, there's no resurrection of the dead? That's crazy. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Not only that, he's like, look. Not only is it not true, but then we're lying on God because we said Christ, God raised Christ from the dead. So we relying on God. We're liars, for we have testified about God that He rise, that He raised Christ from the dead. That's what we said. But He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. This is the second time he says something like that, right? Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life. Don't miss this. Verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we ought to be pitied more than all men. So key verses right there would be probably be 17 and 19 in this text here. This whole sense of the reality of if Christ hasn't risen, here's what that really means. Now, why is this important? This is actually important for us today. We think, well, okay, they must have didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, but I, think, I wonder if many of us are feeling the same way, right? So these guys didn't believe in the resurrection, but let me, this, this clear what the resurrection is. So the resurrection is not an immaterial being, a ghost, appearing and then floating off somewhere. That's not resurrection, That's not biblical resurrection. That's not what the first century Jew thought, and that's why they are just like up in arms and they can't believe it because they didn't believe that. Resurrection is not resuscitation. It's not someone dying for a couple minutes and then coming back, right? That's not resurrection. Resurrection is not apparitions, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of thing. You know, it's not this. You know, it wasn't like a ghost thingy and then you saw him and then a poof and then you saw him. It's none of that. Sometimes when we think of the resurrection of Jesus, even you read it, you can you can sort of like sort of just pound it off as a ghost or something. See, the first century Jews, the reason why this is so important, is because they are talking about someone who was dead. All right. They were. He was dead. In fact, let's talk. You know, a lot of times when you read the scriptures. When you go to that text in John, it talks about him piercing Jesus in his side. Remember that, that part? If you're new and you don't, you're learning more about Jesus, when you look at, go in the book of John, it talks about uh, Jesus being, being murdered and then a guard sticking him in the side. And, you know, for a long time, I just thought, you know, the guard didn't have nothing to do. I was like, well, okay. You know, and I didn't get it. I didn't know why the guard stick him. Well, because this, this, this person was a professional executor. His job was to kill people well. Right? put out a W-2 poem. What I do, I kill people. That's what I do. He would kill people. So when he stuck him in the side family, he was already dead. But what he wanted to do was to make sure that he was dead. So he would deliver a final blow by sticking him in the side. And then what, what, what you would see in his stories would tell you is that he would stick him in and up, piercing the heart, hoping the heart would explode. So, it's very well documented that the reason why he stabbed him in the end was to make sure that Jesus was dead, even though he was we know he was dead, was to stab the heart and make the heart be pierced. So, he's dead. And what the Jews could not believe is that a dead man who had been stabbed, his heart pierced, okay, mutilated for that whole time, can't breathe, total dead, is buried in a grave, in a tomb, probably starting the de- decomposition route. And in three days, oh, and wrapped. You know, when you, wrap, when you mummify people in the first century, that was a lot of weight. We're talking, you know, maybe 50 to 100 pounds of stuff. And then to see the, the stone roll back, the linen's laid there, and it's empty. So we're talking about a dead person rising, not just resuscitation. Just so us to understand when you as a Christian, this is what you're saying. You believe you believe that a dead man who was totally dead rose. We're going to talk about what that looks like in a moment. Uh, specifically. What did he look like as um, a dead man rising? But the reality here is the resurrection, valid, the resurrection validates the cross is that he's saying that this really happened. The resurrection is a reality that you can ask people. Okay, family? Now, he continues on. What I want to do here is uh, I'm going to read verse... Actually, before I, before, I, before I continue on, I want us to have to struggle with something here. So it says twice that we might be pitied among all men, right? That we're still in our sins. And, and I think this, we, we, can, we can gloss over this a little bit because it seems like the gospel is not a hard sell anymore in America, Right. We minimize the gospel to fit our needs. But why would he say this if the gospel was easy? Why would he say this if the gospel doesn't totally change your life, if you believe it? Because he said to these people, if, if, the, if it's true that Jesus is not risen from the dead, your whole life is worthless. That everything you put your life in, all of your hope and your trust is just worthless. How many, of, how many of us feel like that? If, if someone said today, Jesus is all a hoax, we found a body, we found some bones, would your life change at all? It reminds me of, like, you know, watch people who are in Olympics and they train for 10, 15, 20 years. Their whole life is about the Olympics. And then what if they got to, you know, 19 years old and they're supposed to go and travel to the Olympics. And all of a sudden they got, they got a call and like, psych, man, we're just playing. There's really no Olympics. We're just, we just thought it would be really funny. Is you, 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 that funny? Could you imagine telling that to a gymnast who's dedicated her whole life or his whole life to a sport? Could you imagine? That's that's minuscule compared to what Jesus is saying. He's saying our whole life, everything we're about. He's saying he's assuming something of you and me as professional believers. He's assuming that the gospel matters to you and that it's changing your life and that the things you do in your life is because Jesus rose from the dead. So I just want to ask that question, family. Are the things in your life, are you doing them because Jesus rose from the dead? Or whether Jesus rose or not, it really wouldn't affect your life too much. It seems like for these guys, he's saying our whole life would be meaningless. Now, I don't think he's just talking theology. I am pretty convinced he's talking practically because these people staked everything on the cross. Family, let's continue on here. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, what I love about this text here is if he gives us all this, man, we would be just pitied and, and we would be laughed at. But then he says, but guess what? That's If that was true, but guess what is true? Christ did rise from the dead, right? We are not to be pitied, right? We do have hope not in this unredeemed life, but we have hope in a redeemed life, right? We are not to be fools among men, but we are those who will actually be validated that we are smart because God has given us the, the revelation that he is real and although the world will be judged as stupid. That's the reality. Although right now you seem foolish because we are following this invisible, risen, reigning Savior, one day God will make the invisible reality real for all those, both believer and unbeliever. One day. One day the Lord will do that. That's our, the, 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 the understanding of validation is so important especially in my own journey, to understand that God one day will validate the saints. And he will say, you did not give your life to nothing. I want to read this big chunk, and then I'm going to um, close up. It says, for since death came through a man, verse 21, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all die, so in Christ all of me made alive. Now, just real quick, um, I'll pause and I'm going to show you a little graph. But each in his own. We're in verse 23. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, meaning he starts this whole thing off. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. I know it sounds like a tongue twister, but I'm going to make it hopefully make it plain in a moment. Okay, Um, who put everything under Christ That's the father? Verse 28. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him. Jesus being made subject to the father who has given Jesus everything so that God may be all in all. So that finally the Trinity will be all in all and the Trinity will be in their specific roles where Jesus is subordinate to the father, but he is not second rate to the father. OK, verse. Um, so let's pause there. So here's what's happening here. What I love it. I love what Paul does here. He makes these claims and then he gives us a little timeline. Right. So. So if you're wondering, so how does this thing all work out? This is this is look at history real quick. This is redemptive history in a nutshell. So we have he tells us like so we have Adam, right, our, our first parents before Christ. And if you are not a believer in Christ, there's he's still your parent. Um, he's a parent of death. He brings in. He brings in death. Right. He sins. he brings in the first sin. Death came through all men uh, because of Adam. So because of Adam, all under his identity being human die. OK. Then we have Jesus, though, who comes as the first fruits of resurrection. Uh, so the first fruit simply means the first one to, to begin that new, that new life. So he begins the new life of death, right, or as it were, not life. And then Jesus begins a new life of recreation. Okay? And it says in all Adam, it says everyone in Adam dies and everyone in Christ lives. You're not saying just like everyone in Adam dies, everyone will eventually be in Christ. No, all who are under the identity of Adam, human, die All those who are in the identity of Jesus' spiritual rebirth lives. Okay? Um, So in in essence, resurrection is given to all in Christ, so all live then what happens is we have destruction of all dominion, authority, and power. So we become Christians. We fall in love with Jesus. We walk with the Lord. But guess what? World's still kind of crazy. This is called the now and not yet, right? You have this kingdom that Jesus has allowed. He has this kingdom here, and he's bursted in his ruling reign into this world. And he says, I'm come, I've am come. i come in. I brought my Holy Spirit. I'm supplying you. I'm equipping you to do work in this realm still, even though there is a new realm that you will be a part of, right? So there's still craziness. There's still sin. But guess what? You're going, well, why is there still craziness and sin and people like evil and all this mess up? And Why am I still struggling with sin? Because God uses all that. He still wants to do a work in you and me. Okay? See, he wants to, he wants to sanctify us. So the reason why, although he reigns over Satan, he still allows the lives of Satan to permeate the earth is because what it does is it continues to grow us and sanctify the believer. Because as as we're being beaten and as things are happening to us, we're still clinging on to the cross. And we're still saying, Jesus, no matter what happens, I believe you are my king. He goes, look at my people being faithful. Look at my people. They're growing. Wow, he lost his house, but he still praises me. That's what I'm talking about. You get it. So he's he's purifying us as we continue to hold on no matter what happens. So that's the reason why even all this stuff is still here, because God is using it for his glory. At the same time, people who are denied Christ, you know, your house, you lose your house and you go, well, forget Christ. He's not real. You walk off. What he does is he, he allows that to purify and to show us who really are his people. You follow me? So then these people say, well, I forget Christ. He goes, well, I'm glad I kept sitting around here a little longer just to expose you. You're not serious. And so then he begins to heap judgment on the unbeliever. So all throughout life, what's happening here is the believers being sanctified. We, we make them more like Christ. We're continually holding on. House get getting broken into? David says, praise the Lord. I know God is doing something here. We're going to keep moving on. God says, that's my kid. Then you have all of us who want to be sinful sinners. He says, I'm going to continue to heap judgment on you. So one day, Jesus can say, I was perfect in my judgment. These are my people. These are not. And the world made it real clear who was who. Okay? Alright, so... Destruction of the... But, but one day, praise God, destruction of all dominion, authority, and power will happen. That's the beauty. One day, Jesus said, say, okay, we're all done. I'm back. I'm taking over. That's the beauty of Jesus' reign. And we will reign with him. And on that day, he will say, hey, I know it seemed hard, but guess what? Again, I validate you. I cannot wait for that day. So then what he does, then Jesus takes it all, he perfects it, he says, this, this is the kingdom, I'm hooking it up, and then he presents it to the Father. Here's your rule and reign, the ruling reign of the people of God. Here you go, Father. And then what happens is everything is under the reign of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we all get to party with Jesus forever. Amen? All right. So that's what's going on in verses 20 through 28. You probably have some questions, but I got a lot more, so I can't. I can't ask if you got questions. Okay, let's move on, please. That kind of makes sense, family. Amen. So I just want you to understand. So that what the resurrection means. I don't want you know. I don't want to be jumping around here. And, ah! I want you to stop and say, what does the resurrection mean? It means it validates everything. It validates the cross, what the Lord has done on the cross, why He did it on the cross. It validates everything about the reality of what it meant for Him to rise from the dead and what He's going to do in all of history. And as you're listening to this and thinking about this, man, you think, am I, am I on that train? Am I part of those people? Let's continue on, family. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We have a big chunk here. Uh, for the sake of time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some key verses. I'm going to read 35 through 44 and then 52 and 53. And I'm going to have you read uh, the rest on your own. Okay, family? So let me read 30, 35, 34. So, so it validates the cross. Right, the reality of the cross, but then also what it does—it it, it validates the reality of the next life. So the reality is like, do you think that this is it? Do you really think that this is it? That this, this is what we got. This is the best. And that's what he says. If you think that you know we we honor Christ just for this life, then you're you're silly, and you should just go ahead and party. That's what he's saying, right? So, do, is that what you think? Well, look what he says here. It says, but some may ask, verse 35, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they, will they come? So right now he's saying the resurrection also validates the life to come for us. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Don't miss this, verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but you just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. He continues on to talk about all the different bodies from, from, from stars to earth. I'm going to go down to verse 42. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Okay. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Verse 43. It is sown in honor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. is raised a spiritual body. I'm going to actually jump down uh, to verse 52. So what he said in a nutshell, hey, you want to know about the life to come? Do you know there's a life to come, T.T.? He says, I'm going to tell you about it. He says, look, you see your life. Don't get caught up in this. He says, guess what? This is like a seed. Your body right now, what you're doing, this is like a seed. He says, you're just sowing right now. And look what he says in verse, uh, verse 52 and 53. He says, um, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, uh, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must, be, perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and immortal with immortality. Let's pause there. So, what is he saying here? Let me give you guys a little example. You see what I got in my hand here? Probably not, right? That's my point. What I have here is a little seed, a little bitty seed here. Okay, so so what God is saying, He's saying, listen. So a lot of us, what you think is you think if if you're even us who, who say we love Jesus, we we've been watching Left Behind and stuff, and you get caught up and you think that this life really doesn't matter. And what God, like what I'm doing, I'm sort of buying time here, and one day I'm going to be with Jesus forever somewhere else. And so this place is not, it's not all that you know, and it's, it's a hell in a handbasket. And one day God is going to get rid of it and do his own thing. And we're going to be in heaven. But guys, God created this. And he said, this is good. This is all his stuff. Romans eight is saying, no, he loves his, all his creation. And what he's going to do is he's going to perfect it. He, now he's going to change it. It's going to have, now let me, let me say here, when you look at this little seed, you never think it will become this, right? You'll go, wow, look at that. Don't you love how God has done it all throughout So when you got a lot, of, we have a lot of We have a lot of people who like to grow crops in our body and grow things. Every time you grow something, you should think about recreation, because this is what it means is that God is saying, just like the plant that becomes like this does not look like this. He says this bears this. All right. He says, listen, although you don't think so, your body is but a seed. And what God is doing right now is he's going to make something that is continuous, that has continuity, but has discontinuity. You think of the plant. It's come from the seed. That's the continuity. But there's this continuity. It looks very different. It's bigger. probably has a different use. In many places, you can get fruit and things of that sort. God is saying that's what's going to happen one day. One day, God is going to recreate. He's going to take his creation, and he's not going to destroy it. He's, not go- he's going to perfect it. And that one day for you and me, the promise we have and what all those verses are trying to say is that, hey, hold on and realize what this is not this is not it. This is not one day God is going to recreate us. And so the whole point of Jesus, the whole point of Jesus rising from the dead family is him showing us what that's going to look like. That's the beauty of the resurrection. If Jesus doesn't just say it and say, well, believe my theology, he actually rises from the dead. And what's cool about that, if you notice in the scriptures, many times the people don't even recognize him. It's not because he's a ghost. It's because he's recreated. He's, he's glorified. He, he actually has his risen body. That's saying something to us about one day we will be risen like Christ and we'll kind of look, we'll kind of know who you are, but kind of not. Because you'll be perfected, right? Think about it. The discontinuity was they didn't know who he was. The continuity is he still had the holes. He still had the hole in his side. There's some discontinuity and continuity. Continuity is that he ate fish. Crazy. He's sitting there, can you imagine? He had to prove these cats. See? They're like, no, nah, that can't be Jesus, Jesus. He's like, man, I'm hungry. You got some fish? So they're like, okay, Jesus. Grab a fish. Can you imagine? This dude was there. They saw a mutilated on the cross. Can you imagine how they was looking at him probably like, is he about to eat the fish? He starts eating fish, man. He starts eating the fish. I mean, can you imagine that? So there's so, so there's continuity, it seems to be. But then also he appears in places where the doors are locked. There's discontinuity. I propose to you, it wasn't Jesus just showing off. He was trying to get us excited about new creation. He was showing us that God is going to do something in us where we're going to be with him like him. Do you believe that? You're going to be like that. We're going to be like Jesus, where he's going to recreate us. And that's what he's saying. The resurrection validates the life to come. So if the resurrection validates the cross... It validates the life to come. Okay, so now what about now? What do you do now? Right? You ever thought about that? Well, last verse is here. Notice what he says here. See, if we think that the world really doesn't matter, family, if we think the resurrection is about me getting saved so I can be with God forever, you know, sort of fire insurance kind of thing, and we just kind of don't even know what we're supposed to do with this life, we've missed the point. Look what he does. 50-something verses of resurrection talk, family, and look how he ends it. He said, because of that reality, he says, where, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Look what he says. Where O death is your victory? Where O death is your sting? The sting of he says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, which means basically the reason why we have death is because of sin, right? And the reason why we know what sin is is because of the law. Okay? But, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pause there. Look what he says here. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, wow, look at all that cool stuff. God down the cross, that's awesome. You're going to have this awesome body one day and you're going to be with Jesus. That's awesome. You know, he says, thanks be to God that he gives us now the victory. We're not waiting until Jesus comes back again for the victory. We have to get that. You and I have victory right now. Right now, family. So what does that mean? they are still evil. I still struggle with sin. Because we're still seeing with these visible eyes, and we're not looking into the invisible realm to see who God has made us, family. God wants you and me to take off the wrong, take off, take off these spectacles, put on God's spiritual eyes. He says, I want you to see the world from the way I look at it, as a risen Savior and you reigning with me. We don't have to give in to pornography. We don't have to give in to pacifism, just being passive. Or being a jerky husband. We don't have to do these things anymore. God says now we can live a resurrected life and be like Christ. We can model his image well again because we now have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have victory. The sin we can take off the shackles and the strongholds of sin now. We have that power in Christ. We're new creations, the Bible says. New creations, and because of that, because Jesus has done away with sin, because he's done away and he will do away fully, obviously death couldn't hold our Savior. He's showing us that, but death won't even be able to hold you and me. He says, because of all that reality, because I've made a spectacle of my enemy, he says, therefore, here's what we're supposed to do now. Dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. There it is. If this is all true, if we don't just come here and just is not some self-help group, but God is actually wanting to do something in you, Mike. He's wanting to use you. If that's if that's really the case, if he said, I've recreated you for this purpose. Notice something. He's talking to crazy Corinthians. Now, these cats sleeping with their mothers. They're doing all kind of crazy stuff, all crazy, unethical stuff. I didn't make that up. That's that's in the Bible. All kind of crazy stuff. Right. But look what he focuses on. He doesn't say you're risen in Christ. Now do good stuff. He makes a gospel focus. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That has a gospel intent of proclamation, of making Jesus known, of being about God's stuff. Now, I want to talk about this, uh, two things real quick. Immovable in your faith, right? So the first thing he says, be immovable. Okay, so some of us have just professed Jesus. Some of us have been professing Jesus. And he said, guys, you need to be immovable in your faith. Now... How are you immovable in your faith? Well, my, my fear is we have made the gospel. Uh, we've got to be very careful uh, that we don't add to the gospel by taking away. Okay? And what I mean by that, that I alluded to it earlier. Uh, it's almost like we think, and, uh, and hear my heart, we've got to make sure we don't get caught up in thinking, Jesus died and suffered so I won't have to. You hear me? That's not the gospel. Jesus didn't do it, so now we can now... He didn't say, oh, Jesus died for me so I can live a a, a great life here. That's not why he died for you. He died for you to make you rise in him so that you might be his vice regent. You might be his age of new creation. You might do his bidding, right? Now, I'm sharing this because if you're thinking about the gospel right now, I just want you to understand it's a very hard sell. I want you to really contemplatively think about, am I willing to do this? Another piece, we would think the gospel doesn't cost you anything. The gospel costs you something. It costs you your very life. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. So he says, move on your faith. Let's understand what we're talking about when we say in your faith. We're talking about a gospel where Jesus is king, and it costs you your life. And guess what? He's asking you and me to retell his suffering, sacrificial servant story. That's joy, but it's a different kind of joy. He wants us. To live a crucified life just as he lived for us. So the gospel is not consumerism, but it's sacrificial. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The sense of, in, in, in a nutshell, I think, you know, being a Christian and doing things that Christians do for believers and unbelievers. Right? So you have the ministry component and then the adding value, the life giver to the family of God. Right? He's saying, I, this is, this is, this is, he's saying, this is the reason. So you've been risen from the dead because I've been risen. And here's, here's your marching orders right here. Here's what I want you to be about. And why? Because it's not in vain. The resurrection is about nothing being in vain, but all being for a purpose. And that God says the work that we do, the things that we do all matter to God and he will use them for his purpose of perfecting all of creation. So when I look at this, people go, well, so, so now what, Eric? I'm like, now what? I mean, what do you mean, now what? This is simply saying to you and me, this holy shell accountable, that Jesus has been resurrected. And so God is calling you and me to live a resurrected life. You've been born again. God is saying, live resurrected. As a new believer, please don't hear this as perfection. God isn't asking you. See, Satan will fool us. And you'll hear this, live a resurrected life, and then you'll fall into sin, or you'll do something that dishonors the Lord, and you'll think, man, was my decision real? Um, I'm kind of fake. Again, what do we talk about? W, imputation. You're already righteous. God says, I've already made you perfect. What God is simply saying for us to do now, he's saying, I've made you something. Now be him or be her. That's the freedom of the gospel. I pray that in my life and in your life, we would, we would, we would get that. We would hold each other accountable to that. Man, we would, we would just give over our personalities and, and just the things that really hold us prayed to not being who we're called to be. Where we're not giving value to the body. We're not honoring each other. Let's enjoy Jesus. Let's live a life resurrected, yielding to the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do right now, family, uh, we're going to have a time.